three, two, one. Hello and welcome. It's your Managing Madrid podcast for the week uh, ending Sunday, January 6th, 2019. Happy New Year. Um, this is your host, Gabe Lezra, and I'm joined by uh, Omar Vind. No Keon today. Keon is uh, Keon's under the weather, so everyone, you know, I'm sure he won't mind if you um, constantly bombard his DMs with, uh, with messages. <laughs> <laughs> Om, what's going on, man? Um, what's going on? Real Madrid are in a bad place right now. That's what's Not going great. on. Yeah. And, um, yeah, this game, it was kind of, I think, where everyone's emotions just started completely spilling out. Um, at least from what I saw on social media, it's like we were kind of all taking in what happened with Solari because this was a loss. I think I think this is our first loss in La Liga since since Abar, if I'm not wrong. Um, it just everyone just kind of let out exactly how they feel about the present situation, and almost none of those feelings were positive. And I think there's certain debates to be had about where exactly we place blame but I think the general sense that we're not in a good place that it's a negative situation right now I think that's obviously yeah. correct I mean so the the match obviously Real Madrid 0 Real Sociedad 2 losing to La Real at home for the first time since 2004 I mean this is not supposed to be a match that um it's not supposed to be a match that is complicated for Madrid that's I think the 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 fundamental point right like this Madrid actually, as I think you pointed this out, Om, but Madrid has actually had a very easy schedule, and they're still struggling to get points. And I mean, this is—I mean, going into this match against La Real and just you know shitting the bed in this way, I think it's fair to have people melt down. We're not going to be the—I mean, I know in previous eras we've been the uh, the the show that. Uh, kind of cocks you all down from ledges. I mean, I think we're going to do a little bit of that today, but I just want to say the general air that we're, the general, I think, feeling in the air here is that, you know, this actually is a catastrophe and Madrid is in really rough shape. So people don't have to be worried about about us thinking that. Right. So you mentioned the easy schedule. That's definitely correct. And I think it's not emphasized enough when comparing where we are now. To, um, to the Lopetegui era. So Real Sociedad, I think, was 15th coming into this game after the victory. They moved up to 12th. But before facing Real Madrid, they had lost their last four league games based on what the commentators were saying throughout the match. So we're supposed to we're supposed to win this. Like, I, I don't know what else to say. Like, we, we faced Real Sociedad. We faced... Um, Huesca, we face Rayo. Like none of these teams are in particularly good places at the moment. Rayo is is nineteenth. Um, Huesca is twentieth, and we we just haven't looked convincing against any of these teams. Though we've been able to scrape out wins. I think we already talked about how the win against Huesca was a bit fortunate. Against Rayo, we didn't play particularly well. Obviously, we were devastated versus Abar. It's and then you have like the Champions League games as well that weren't convincing, and it's I, I don't think there's really any excuse for what we saw today. And I think what we saw today was simply a continuation, in a lot of ways, of the of the the um, negatives we've been seeing in past games. But there's some nuances to that because I think this was one of the games where we actually deserved to win, 
and we didn't end up winning, though I, I, I don't think the performance was great overall. Uh, well, why don't we just jump into some of the just really quickly the the normally we go like line by line who was good and bad. I mean, the the lineup today was actually very close to uh, what we would say is an onza de gala, except for the front three, and that is, you know, it's been the problem all season. Now that with the with the front three, uh, you know, this where where you're starting Lucas Vasquez, like a game in game out. Um, and then where you're where your real star of the match is Vinicius Jr. You're really in you're you're in some hot water if you're Real Madrid. It's gonna be hard to score. Obviously Madrid got held to zero at home. I mean it was not a good performance overall, but I think that just pointing that particular aspect of the lineup out is a sorry, my dog is just going nuts. Logan is very upset about the game. Um, <laughs> it is an argument in and of itself of how, how much trouble this team is in, I think. Like, these three players are not the people you want starting if you're going to have an elite elite uh, squad. So I agree with that as a general principle. Um, and I think you can make a convincing argument that the lineup as constituted will not win you the league title. But I feel very strongly that with the players we have, we should be at least challenging for the title. And if you disagree with that, in my mind, there's absolutely no debate that whoever we put out on the field should be beating teams that are 15th coming in. Yeah. Who have lost their four league games. Like for me, there's no, you can't point to the player quality looking at, we've literally under Solari, we've basically only played the worst teams in the division at the time that they played us. I mean, you can just go back and check where they were in the league table. You can go back and check their form. You can even go look at their XG from game to game. We played all of the worst opposition. I, there's no way you can point to the player quality and say, oh, that's the reason we're not doing well right now. Because by that logic, then no matter what we do, no matter who we bring in, we're essentially destined for relegation. If we don't have the quality of players to beat the worst teams in the league, that's just something I don't buy. Yeah. I can buy... Maybe we're not going to beat Barcelona, but we, we, we have to be able to beat these teams. We yes. definitely have the players to do that. Right. Um, I totally agree with that. I didn't mean to say to kind of yeah, – Yeah, yeah. I, was, to just, say that this, I was just using that to jump on. No, and that's an important yeah. point because – and I, I tried to preface it by saying, actually, you know, the spine of this team is still the three-peat onto de gala. Like, it, it really is. Uh, and, you know, if if – it shouldn't be like just say, oh, well, we don't have uh, Bale or, or, or whoever in the lineup, so obviously they're not going to play well. That's not how a well-constructed team works, and this is actually a well-constructed team. It's not, you know, there are definitely lineup deficiencies, but this is the same spine of a team that won, that, that just did the, the, the three-peat in the Champions League. That's insane. Uh, and it's not like they just went from being a world-beating side uh, to... They're, like to a can't beat relegation fodder side in the course of you know six months. There's something. There has to be something else there, uh, and that's sort of what I wanted to get into a little bit. I I totally agree, and I I really don't think that it's a fair thing to just point to the lineup as if that's some sort of argument that you know for this team being bad. Like there's other stuff going on here. Right, and I would I would argue I I wouldn't argue and say that the players have have all been fantastic that some of the responsibility doesn't need to be on them. For example, Casemiro 
making that stupid foul yeah. in the box, Benzema missing the chance. <sighs> um, that was our, that was probably our best open play chance of the game. But if you look at, so if you want to look at performance, analyzing player performances, you're essentially looking at two things. And this, this, this is the same in reverse when you're looking at tactics. You have to look at how players are working within the system that the coach has placed onto them in the match conditions. And so let, let's start with the match conditions, the tactics. Like, I can't identify. I haven't been able to identify for, like, the past four or five Solari games what our offense is. I, I legitimately yeah. do not understand what we're doing. And so within that kind of chaotic environment where there doesn't seem to be a plan, our players are creating chances out of, out of out of their own individual initiation. That's why Vinicius looks like our best attacker. I, I mean, I'm not saying I, I I perhaps phrased that a bit cynical. I mean, he ha- he was our best attacker, but my point is that the reason Vinicius is the one who's who's taking charge and and he's the one creating the most j- danger is because our offense completely and solely relies on a player taking the ball dribbling past four players and trying to create something and i i love that like every once in a while that's what you need but when that's the only thing our offense is that's your player stepping up creating something when your coach hasn't provided any foundation whatsoever for an offense that's a really good point i mean like if you were gonna at least they when, when we were criticizing zidane or some of these other coaches you could always say something like well he focuses too much of the offense on crossing or right. he doesn't play through the middle at all. But with Solari, it, it's just not even clear what the hell he's trying to do. Like it's, there's not, he's not <laughs> focusing on crossing because he's not focusing on anything. Like he, he, it's like, he doesn't think about, you know, how to, you know, to create offense and, and what his, what his players, uh, you know, where their point of attack should be or, or, you know, just go out there and, you know, score or make something happen. Like, that's just it's like elementary school like recess soccer tactics on <laughs> like uh, just to just to um support my point i mean i think everyone knows like how much Vinicius, how well Vinicius played how many dribbles he attempted but just to put numbers on it he attempted 12 dribbles and he completed six so obviously there was the decision making issues and blah 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 like it's expected of someone his age but it's the fact that we're we're requiring an 18-year-old to yeah. attempt 12 dribbles per game to, to facilitate some kind of offense. That tells you there isn't a, there aren't collective mechanisms. Right. When I say that, plans, planned ways of attacking to, to facilitate chances. We just don't have that. Right, and like saying X player is, is like a weak spot, so what we're going to do is we're going to overload that player's side uh, and, and try to cut in, um, you know, send runners cutting from the other side. Uh, and try to create that type of mi- by uh, try to basically highlight a mismatch. That's that's just an example of one one type of thing that I I haven't even like I'm not a coach, but like even we can come up with looking at at teams saying having a general thesis. And yeah, sometimes it doesn't work. And you know what? Under Lopetegui, Madrid always did have a attacking thesis. Like you could pretty clearly see what they were trying to do most of the time, and he would get you know they would get frankly very unlucky, uh, uh, you know, and and there were a number of other problems, but they got fairly unlucky and a couple of times when, sure, the the thesis actually made sense. What they were doing made sense. They would hit the bar a couple of times. The other team would get one shot and goal and score. I mean, I I just don't feel like that's at all what's going on with Solari. 
Right. I I mean, I think so. That's what I think when you point point to the players and say, well, they're going to step up to a certain degree. I, I will accept that. Right. Like I we I mean, I've been saying for like close to six months now that we need a striker. We need an elite world class goal scorer. So, I mean, that, that there's certain validity to that. I don't think Asensio yeah. has stepped up this season the way I've wanted him to. But in the present moment, yeah. by and large, the players are stepping up because they're making they're literally making something out of nothing every yeah. game now. And it's not it's not great. I'm not saying they're making like pure magic. And the reason they're not making pure magic is because they're working from absolutely no platform. And I think that's where people are kind of getting confused because it is very difficult to look and, and, and try to dissect what is a player doing on his own initiation versus what's planned? I think you have to look at repetition. You have to look at organization and spacing in the attack. These are things that indicate, these are hints yeah. that tell you this is a coach's plan. And I can't see a lot of repetition. The spacing is all over the place. So I And when I see you know someone attempt 12 dribbles, you know, dribbling into four players with no support to try to create something, my the only logical conclusion I can reach is that the players are pretty much just trying to having to figure it out on their own. Yeah. I, uh, that being said, that is, let's just quickly, now that we're on the subject of Vinicius, why don't we just talk a little bit more in depth about the positives that we can take from him. And, you know, one, one thing, yeah, that, that dribble stat is infuriating and bad, but it also, that's not a terrible ratio of dribbles for someone who's, you know, just getting to the club and is just beginning his career. Mm-hmm. And he also took six shots on goal, or two, six shots. Six shots is a great number. And, you know, it's what you, you, you know, one of the things that we've been accusing Madrid of under the Solari reign has been actually just literally not shooting the ball very much. And <laughs> no, I mean, you can't literally, the, right. it's reflected in the X, XG. Um, and you, we've seen a notable, noticeable drop in XG uh, under Solari versus Lopetegui, for example. And getting someone who comes in and, and shoots, I mean, yeah, sure. You're not going to score all of them, but you 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 know you have a higher percentage chance of scoring if you shoot versus if you don't. And I think it was impressive that he has you know the cojones to take on shots um, in 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 front of a relatively hostile Bernabeu, not to hostile him, but hostile the way the team is playing, uh, and try to just create some magic himself. Now, I think he would get, and I'll just I'll just end my little. Thing on, I'm interested to hear your your point of view, but uh, I think he would get caught out a little bit if Madrid had more of a real thesis, right? Like if if the there was a nuanced tactical, if there was a nuanced tactical plan, Vinicius is young and pretty raw still with understanding and executing these tactics, and so I think he would be maybe not fit in as well. But in this sort of playground soccer nonsense, mm-hmm. he actually works really well for this because he. Uh, you don't need to have a nuanced like experience like that comes with a lot of experience, right? Way to execute your coach's plans. If like the coach's plan is just yeah, like nutmeg that dude and then take a shot from forty yards, like yeah, that's what I was saying when I said like the our, the conditions of our offense made Vinicius our best player, right? It wasn't a knock on him, but it's exactly what you said, Gabe. It's in this chaotic and unplanned environment, which we're not even attempting to control a little bit. Vinicius has the inherent qualities to thrive in that, especially with his energy, his positivity, you know, his decision-making errors are less decision-making errors and just those are the consequences of, like, having that type of offense. Um, I'm looking at his shots right now. There was that one really good chance he had in the 14th minute 
yeah. um, where he was slipped in behind the defense and he tried to chip it. I think it was going off target anyway, but the goalkeeper saved it. And then the rest were kind of the more difficult shots from more difficult angles that he was creating by himself. Again, all positive. Oh, that, there was that one really good shot where he combines with Benzema yeah. and from the edge of the box, he yeah. sends it wide of the post. These are the kinds of things that you can tell are individual initiation. You like to see it. Um, but that's where our best chances came from. And I, I mean, I, I like that Vinicius is doing, like you said, it's positive. Um, but we're relying on, you know, one kid to do an awful lot, to shoot from very difficult angles, to pull off difficult pieces of skills. And yeah. it's just obviously not very repeatable, right? Like we can't go every game and expect him to pull, pull this off. This comes off like once every five games. Right. And that's why you actually can't just you know, rely on having individual brilliance. Like it, you know, and, and I think in the, the seasons where Barcelona, the messy Barcelona has been bad. It's because they actually do something similar to this. They have a coherent system, but they're, I mean, the, you know, some of the most classic moments of the Messi era Barcelona is that they, when they're doing badly, they do just fall back. And like Messi is good enough that he can do this a lot, but in the seasons where they don't win anything or they, they, you know, they don't have a good year. It's because in important moments they revert to, and in, in a lot of moments they revert to just saying, "Well, Messi will create something." And if Madrid is trying, like if Madrid tries to execute that without having a Messi or Ronaldo, right? Then uh, you know you're in a lot more trouble too. <laughs> uh, it, it, I don't know if that makes sense. It was. It's really just like. Even when you have these incredible like all timer type players, your team still is in trouble when they just they don't have a coherent philosophy, which is why it's not gonna be enough for Madrid to go out and let's say Madrid goes and gets Neymar. It's not gonna be enough to just put Neymar on this team if they're still running uh -huh. out with a coach who doesn't have a coherent right. offensive philosophy. Right, exactly. I, I I don't have anything to add to that. I mean I'm 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 gonna talk about um other parts of the game just kind of go through the timeline of the game because I didn't say that Rounder deserved to win. I don't know if you had anything else you wanted to say about Vinicius. No, uh, I did not. Um, I did want to address one thing. People freaking out about VAR. Um, VAR is still not <laughs> being implemented as well as it should be. It is 100% on balance a good thing in my view, but they do yeah. need to be able to fix and understand, like, they need to be able to explain why certain car calls won't be reviewed, et cetera, et cetera. They need to do a better job of selling it a little bit, but don't, again, don't blame the technology. It's badly, it's being badly implemented, um, but it's still, again, even when it's being badly implemented, and even if you feel like it, it disadvantages your team, it's on balance, VAR is actually a much, much needed and useful thing in this league. And and right, so like even if we removed VAR from like when there was the when there was the clear penalty decision, I think mean, it was Vinicius, right? That was fouled. Yes, yeah. Um, yep. If you remove VAR, that decision is still not given because right. the referee, his eyes didn't see it. So like VAR, ninety nine point nine percent of the time isn't hurting you. The worst it can do is can't help you. Yeah. And most of the time, if you if you want to go and look at like all the decisions, most of the time it's helping. So like in my opinion, it's an unambiguous good, but I understand why. That's why, especially that decision frustrated yeah. a lot of people. Um, so, that, I mean, that's part of it. That's part of why I said we deserve to win the game, right? Like, that penalty, if we'd gotten that, that was in a situation where we were 1-0 down. If we go 1-1, that changes a lot of things. But more than that, in the first half, we allowed Real Sociedad to have one shot. That's it. 
And that was off the penalty, Casemiro's early foul. And right. I think we had 10 shots within that half. Only two really good chances. There, that was the Benzema chance that where he missed past the post and then the Vinicius where his chip was saved. But clearly the better team because Real Sociedad, in my opinion, despite them winning 2-0, did right. not play well at all. They had nothing going offensively, especially in the first half. And their defense wasn't great. Like, even though we didn't seem to have a coherent offensive plan, it all it took was Vinicius dribbling at, at, at defenders, combining with Benzema to create shots. So I thought first half, clearly the better, better side, bit unlucky not to be 1-1. And the second half, mostly the same story, except Real Sociedad are starting to find chances because we're getting more and more desperate. Our, our, we're finding greater disorganization in attack which makes things more fluid and means when we lose the ball, we're less prepared to defend against the counter. So we also see that we're starting to get some chances. But on balance of play, I still thought, okay, the chances are still going in our favor. And then Lucas Vasquez yeah. gets stupid second yellow. I, I mean, I watched that several times. I don't see how that's a defensible decision and gets sent off. And obviously that changes the entire balance of the game because we need to keep chasing and we do. But now we're just completely exposed because we're a man down and it was only a matter of time before Sociedad ended up getting that second goal. And there, before they scored, there were like two other occasions where they were clean through and bad decision-making didn't even allow them to get a shot. So we didn't play well. I'm, I'm not going to say we play well, um, but I think we just we, we deserve to win that game. And I think bad refereeing decisions screwed us. I agree with that, man. I, I, actually, I actually do think this is a... Uh, an angle that hasn't been talked about that much, but you know, Madrid didn't look great, um, but they definitely, in my view, were the better team against Sociedad today. And not, we are not hearing that very much from people because people are, and correctly, I guess, looking to, you know, rush and um, point fingers and, and, and catastrophize. But, you know, I actually think this is, this is, this analysis is pretty much spot on. I mean, look, there, there were, I think two main you know, major things that happened to Madrid and they were Madrid's own making. There was the Casemiro penalty and then the Lucas Vazquez red card. It, and, and both of those, Madrid has no one to blame but themselves. Like Casemiro, that was an insane, ch- I mean, terrible challenge. And then Lucas Vazquez, absolutely indefensible going in uh, uh, for that challenge. So, I mean, Madrid can be the better team all they want, but if they're going to keep doing dumb shit like that, they're going to lose more games. Yeah, and I think it's fair to point out also that I kind of feel like this is the luck balancing out because yeah. we've got plenty of victories in the Solari era, Huesca being one of the big ones where you kind of look back and think, yeah, I don't really know if we deserve to win, but okay. And this is like the first time I felt, okay, I, I pretty clearly think we deserve to win. If a couple moments had gone our way, a couple of refereeing decisions, we probably win this and we lose. But I wouldn't say like, on the balance is a huge unfairness because I feel like there's been three or four occasions where I felt like we should have lost or at least we should have drawn the game and we ended up winning. So I kind of feel like this is just kind of how luck works, right? Throughout a yeah. season, you're going to have a lot of moments where in, in, in a bunch, you're going to feel like, oh, we should have won those games and we lost. And then later down the line, you're going to win a bunch of games you feel like you should have yep. lost. And we were saying that when, when those games were happening. Uh, we, right. you know, I remember talking to you, you and Keon about how, yeah, look, ultimately this probably will balance out. And, you know, the Solari, so much of this quote-unquote success of the early and mid-Solari period 
were pretty frankly pretty lucky and and games where Madrid would get you know have lower xG than the other team and then win by two goals or something I mean it's not it does feel like there is some balancing going on here right and the thing is like I'm just looking at the bigger picture here because the result is what it is and I'm just looking at the opponents we have to face next and it's Real Betis and Sevilla. I think we have an opponent before them, but we're facing those two teams very soon. And I'm just not confident at all, right? Like, like I said, we faced all the bad teams with Solari because under Lopetegui, we faced most of the top half of the table. I, I, I know we faced Barcelona, um, Sevilla. I think we faced Betis as well, if I'm not wrong. Or maybe that was some other team. Yeah, I team. think so. No, I think so. So now we're going to face them again, right? Because we've gone through the cycle of the first half of the season. Yeah. Now we have to face And I don't know what I've seen from these games that that should make me confident going against teams that are far more clinical, far more organized, who actually come into these types of games with the expectation of winning rather than Real Sociedad, who probably came to the Bernabeu saying, if we get a draw, I'll feel damn lucky about that. And I just, I'm just not confident at all. I I can't really predict that we're going to win those because I don't think we're going to. Uh, yeah, um, I agree. So, and this is what I mean is I remember also saying earlier in the season, like what happens when this luck turns around, but we're not playing against Wisca. It's Madrid versus, you know, Bet- one of these these teams is having a great season like Betis or one of the kind of perennial powerhouses like Sevilla. Like what happens when it's them? And and the answer is that it's very possible Madrid gets blown out by oh, yeah, by not a very good like not like a elite elite team but like if Sevilla comes in and and beats Madrid 4 to 1 I I mean that that's not an insane result given the way Madrid has played Yeah and I think I think the thing is there's there's a counter argument that I encountered on Twitter when I basically tweeted out that you know we hired the worst coach in modern Castilla history I'm not sure what we expected and a lot of people are like, you can't blame the coach. Maybe in this game, I mean, I think you can still blame Solari for a lot of things, but I, I think you can agree on this game, Solari was unlucky. But people are just saying this is how it's been all season, right? And that nothing has changed. You know, Lopetegui it was the same, so it's the same with Solari, so we need to turn over the whole squad. I kind of already addressed how, like, saying, you know, it, it, we don't have the squad quality doesn't make sense especially when facing disopponents i also mentioned how you know under lopetegui was a different story we faced atletico madrid was another team i didn't mention that we faced right under lopetegui that we obviously haven't faced right. under solari and it's not just that like look look at the underlying numbers we mentioned this in our solari podcast you know a couple weeks back game um we went over you remember that right yeah, so we yeah. went over the, the numbers so we were a net negative in shots coming in prior to the Real Sociedad game, we were barely a net positive in XG. And when comparing it to the Lopetegui era, just the Lopetegui era, not Zidane, way below. I mean, we were a massive net positive in shots under Lopetegui, pretty solid net positive in XG. And the truth was we had something like 19 expected goals in the league and we only scored 14. Whereas in the Solari era, we're actually scoring above our expected our expected goals, at least prior to the Real Sociedad match. So the underlying numbers are way worse. And then when you look at the tactics on the field, 
you can't see any. Like under Lopetegui, like you mentioned this, Gabe, we, we could see what Lopetegui was trying to group. For a large part, it was Real Madrid controlling the game, a lot of slow possession and a lot of switches to try to get the ball down the flanks and cross. I don't even know what Solari is trying to do here. So yeah, uh, from every single angle, to me, it's fairly obvious that, yes, you can point to squad issues. Maybe we didn't sign the players we needed to do. We definitely didn't replace Ronaldo. From every objective standpoint, we have gotten far worse under Solari. And so, I mean, I, I don't think it's valid to say this is how it's always been. And no matter what happens, we need to like blow up the team and change everything. I don't think bringing in a new coach is going to solve absolutely everything, right? The same issues that still exist in Lopetegui was there will be there, but changing the coach will change will change a lot. Now, I don't know who we can bring in at the present moment. I think we're stuck with Solari till the end of the season, but make no mistake, if we bring in someone like Pochettino, results will turn around. We will look a lot better. Yes, I totally agree. And by the way, I actually think it's a kind of a crisis and Madrid, if it were me, I would have changed changed managers already. I, I just, this is so deeply uninspiring what Solari's project has been doing. He's been, He's had some noticeable important things that he's done, like making sure that Marcos Llorente becomes an important player for the squad. And as you can see, he would have been a very, very useful addition to the squad today. But, you know, on balance, Solari's team is just genuinely net worse than Lobotegui's, which was already struggling. So, like, it just, every number, every objective point of analysis you look at shows that this team is worse and they're playing against worse teams. They're doing worse <laughs> against worse teams than Lopetegui. I mean, it's it's actually not rocket science to see that. Right. I, it's honestly, out of all the football I've watched, you know, which to be fair, isn't that much. It's only like, um, what, nine, ten years, Gabe, you've been watching for like 20 but all the football i've watched i've never seen a more clear-cut analysis that could be made of a manager it, i mean zidane was complicated in a lot of ways i think a lot of the things i've said about zidane positive and negative can be contested till the end of time because it's rather yes. complicated but i don't think anything we're saying about solari can really be contested that much because it's so straightforward because we have so many points of evidence and and very few counterpoints. that's the thing it's just I mean, I, I mean, um, maybe I'm over-exaggerating with the amount of people that were bringing up the counter-arguments and stuff. I, maybe most people agree with me. I'm not sure. It's very hard in the midst of, like, social media when everyone's reacting to get a good sense of that. But That's true. I, I mean, I, I honestly don't understand, you know, how people would say that Solari isn't a big part of the problem here. Not just a big part. I think he is, like, the main big part. Like, I... And I, it's one of these interesting things, and maybe we're being too conservative in saying this, but I think we've both been on the record saying that if Madrid made a good change in manager, that I wouldn't make major changes to the squad. I would maybe make two or three, like, you know, two maybe minor changes and then bringing in a, a world-class attacker, and that's it. That's all I would change to this squad. I. Uh, because honestly, it it just it it's it's it actually is poised really well to to bring keep bringing forward these young players, I mean to to give them more protagonism, uh, and uh, there actually is a huge amount of world class talent here. So, I I mean the problem is that the we have just an absolute disaster show garbage manager who is taking this team that for the last few years was absolutely world beating, and turning them into a unwatchable 
goop. I'm terrible mess. <laughs> um, all right, I'm going to jump into questions if that's cool. Yeah. Maybe that'll make Logan stop borking. Um, <laughs> he is. I don't know what's going on with him. He is. He's having, barking in agreement. With he is extremely on one today. <laughs> um, all right. So as as everyone who's listening probably knows, but if you don't, um, people who toss us uh, uh, you know five dollars a month on Patreon. Uh, get your questions, one question answered on every show if you send it in. So that's what our guaranteed patrons. You also get access to our midday and patron-only content, which there's a fair amount of, and it's uh, pretty great. Um, $3 a month gets you access, but we don't, we can't guarantee that we'll see your, uh, your questions. Uh, and there are increasing rewards, um, going up the chain. So, you know, and also, uh, I also want to do one quick plug. If you're in Madrid and want tickets to some of these games, uh, we have access to very nice tickets from our our, um, our patron Daniel Smith. Uh, just DM at Managing Madrid or at me um, or and 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 Keon, and uh, we we'll we'll talk about it. I mean, you you know, he'll sell them for much less than face value. They are VIP, so you get to sit in in a box and get access to the stadium and all this stuff. It's 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 great. So let us know um, because he is. Uh, not living in Madrid right now and has has these tickets that he's um, you know s- selling. So hit us up if you want to go to the game. All right. Um, game. So, yes. I I just forgot we forgot to mention something really. Oh yeah, important. we do have some other stuff. Yeah. So it, and it's that Brahim yeah. Diaz has has officially became a Real Madrid player, and the news was released like what half an hour after the game. <laughs> yes. Um. So in case you didn't know, you know. He is officially a Real Madrid player, and we have another attacking midfielder slash winger in the squad. Yes, and he's exciting. It's a young, exciting talent. At but the problem is Madrid is very stacked at this position, as we've discussed. Uh, but good to get that done. I mean, there there have been a lot of false starts with Madrid signings, where t- people report that they're very close to signing, and then it doesn't happen. And it's good to finally you know get this one under the belt. Um, and it strikes me that, and I think, Ohm, you were the first person to mention this, but it strikes me that them releasing this information just minutes after this d- devastating loss has to be a way for them to encourage uh, people to, to care and be excited about this team. Like, got to be a PR move. Um, so I, I saw some news saying that that was planned beforehand, but I don't know, maybe they anticipated that the result wouldn't yeah. go well. Regardless, I think the fact that, Everyone is just kind of quizzical about the signing because he doesn't feel a real need. Might mean that even if the announcement wasn't a morale boost, I think the signing itself might be a bit of a morale boost because the board knows that we can't pursue any real targets until the summer, but the fans are like baying for, for yeah. new blood on the side. So I think they just signed, they signed someone to tide everyone over before they will pursue people in the summer, but that's... That's that's an unsupported theory. Yeah. Um, all right. So first question from our patron, um, Sayanta Nandi asks us, what is going on with injuries at Real Madrid for the past few seasons? I don't remember any club suffering so many injuries over the course of a season. Is it just bad luck or is there some deep underlying problem? Uh, so I think our resident medical expert, um, Jerry, he... He has written quite a few articles on this subject, and I think, but I don't remember that well. I think his conclusion was that really 
we suffer about the average amount of injuries of a top club. Obviously, because our focus is on Real Madrid, we tend to notice those injuries more. But yes. basically, super clubs um, like Real Madrid, like Barca, suffer a ton of in 65 games a season. And yeah, I think this season has been say. especially noticeable because of the World Cup. I mean, it's the World Cup, man. Like, people literally had yeah, like two weeks of break before the preseason. It's a tough. It's, I, I can't agree more with that. Um, Madrid has the same amount of injuries, basically, as other clubs. Um, we just care about ours more. Uh, and we always feel like it's not, you know, X team doesn't get enough injuries. What's going on? Are they doping? No, they're not. They're just. I mean, maybe they are, but th- this injury stuff has nothing to do with that proof, right? Like, it's just, we get a lot of injuries. Other people get a lot of injuries. These players are exhausted. They run all the time, constantly. And so you would expect people to, their bodies to just rebel occasionally. Um, you know, there's high-class athletes. And I, I I don't know. I wouldn't worry about it too much. I've remembered some version of this question every year since I started the podcast, so... Madrid has been getting, you know, there are always injuries and there's always questions about injuries. We used to have a theory that Madrid actually had bad doctors, but I I have now moved on to this belief that just we see injuries more because we watch more at Real Madrid. Um, so unless you, like, if there was someone with data who can show me uh, that I'm wrong, then I'm fine with that. But I, I, I don't, until I see that, I'm not going to. Uh, make any conclusion other than what I just said. All right. Uh, Eddie Rodriguez asks us, um, in one of the last pods, you were discussing Madrid transfers, and someone mentioned Barcelona's fi- finances being in poor shape. Can you guys explain a little, a little bit more? Um, yeah, I can talk quickly about this. It's Barce- I'm not, I actually don't know Barcelona's books particularly well, but what I will say is Barcelona uh, has a, a wage structure that's pretty um, out of control. They have spent something like 400 million euros over the last few years to acquire some of these players. Um, They obviously make a huge amount of money, as do Real Madrid, but the fact that Barcelona has won the Champions League in a while has has actually affected their revenues. Um, So they are in a financially less sound position right now than Real Madrid. Now, if you look at the two clubs, you have to ask yourself, well, wouldn't it be better to be in a little bit more financially unsound position for Real Madrid rather than have a very profitable club that's doing really well financially but not winning. Uh, and that is, I think, a fair question given the strength of Barcelona's attacking line um, and Madrid's comparative uh, you know, weakness there. Um, but yeah, Barcelona's finances uh, are not in as good a position as Real Madrid. Uh, and I'll also say that Madrid is run by people who are very, very good at managing finances. And uh, so, you know, occasionally you'll have these people who talk about debt. And um, corporate debt is not like household debt. Um, but also, for country companies to be profitable and for to run a healthy enterprise, you should have a certain percentage of uh, uh, of debt. The only question is whether you make enough money, you know, how much more money you make every year than the payments on your debt are. And Madrid clearly make far more than the payments on their debt. The extent that they're thinking of making capital expenditures using, I'm sure, loans to, to expand the stadium. I mean, they are doing that. So 
That's the right, but that's the right thing to do because long term, those expenditures actually just generate more revenue and they pay for themselves. Like that's what this this does. Barcelona hasn't done anything like that. You obviously, there's no you know interest in and in renovating the company. No, there's none of this stuff. Um, and uh, you know, if if you look at the the actual amount of money just on transfers by itself, you'll see just a a huge red. In the, they're hugely in the red, Barcelona, whereas Madrid are you know, hugely in the black on transfers. And so I just, you know, we can get into it more, but they are, it is certainly less advantageous financial position than Real Madrid, but you have to weigh that against how the, the success of their club at the moment. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, I don't have anything to add. All right. Saad Omar asks us, um, is, there any, is there any way we are salvaging this season? I remember you guys talking, saying that after Zizou left in the summer that your nightmare scenario was Solari. You talked about how he was making Castilla look worse than they actually were. Oh, interesting. Then we actually gave that dude the helm for the first team and comedy. He's not the man for this job. We need to stop playing Lucas Vazquez because he's a complete liability when scoring. I would argue he's one of the worst scorers on our team, and Solari keeps playing him. Do you agree that we need wholesale changes uh, in the summer, including a, including a new coach? Are we even finishing top four to qualify for the Champions League? It sucks that that's even a question. Um, okay, uh, some amount to unpack here. Yes, our nightmare scenario was what we are currently looking at. That This was our preseason nightmare. Um, I don't think there's much else to add. Like that is, I think, and, and we spent the entire show talking about how this coach is actively making the team worse. So um, in terms of wholesale changes, a lot of questions that people have. Um, but, you know, I, I, I think we have addressed this occasionally Om, on previous shows where we say, look, the, the question is what you mean by wholesale. Right. Um, does this tear up the whole club? No, I, I, I think we already said that. No, I don't want to tear up the whole club. This is still a very, very good team with the best players in the world on it. What we need is a new coach with a new philosophy and then a couple of marginal additions, including one big addition to the at- attacking line. And then I'd be fine with this club. So, so, so that's the thing. I think when people ask for a lot of changes, like because generally like the instincts – you know, is correct when Madridistas see trouble. They're like, we need change. The question is what kind of change? And I mean, this is like, this has probably been the same for the last 50 years, but everyone says we need wholesale changes. And I'm like, I'm interpreting that to mean like, you know, like five, six changes, like restructure the core and the side. But I think the only way you can construct a transfer strategy is to look at needs and then fulfill them. So if we're asking what changes need to be made in the side, we need to look at who we have, you know, what are their ages, you know, what is it we want to get out of the squad? And and it's clear that we're building a little bit for the future with all the signings we're making, but we need the capacity to win now. And so when you look at it that way, I find it very hard to come to a conclusion other than we need, you know, two to three signings, but nothing more. And I think right. when people really look, they put they put all the players down on a team sheet to create a depth chart. It's difficult to then say, okay, yeah, we need to sell Kroos, we need to sell Casemiro, we need to sell Marcelo, we need to sell Ramos. Like it doesn't make sense, right? What we really need to upgrade most of all is our attack. And to be more specific, we need someone who can put the ball in the back of the net regularly. Because even under Lopetegui, that's what was killing us. Because 
we were undershooting our XG and our open play XG had dropped off from Zidane's levels because Ronaldo had left. You know, that's so if we if we go back to like the Lopetegui situation and, and look at it there, that definitely would have helped a lot. There are other issues as well towards the end with the way things were snowballing, but that will solve a lot of problems if we have a competent coach in charge. Yep. Um, Thomas Berg asks us, um, what now? 10 points behind. Perhaps time to play players over names, meaning more time to Vinicius, Reguilón, Llorente, Ceballos, Olegazola, even Brahim, and more rotation on Mariano. Liga is dead to poor. Um, for We're too poor for Champions League, so uh, top four, and Copa is the only thing to play for. Maybe... Uh, even sell now instead of waiting for the summer for Modric, Bale, Marcelo, Benzema. Um, woo lad. Um, how would you want Perez, Transferwise, and Solari playing time-wise to approach the rest of the season? So that's the thing, right? Solari has been playing young guys over names. He's given Regulon a lot of minutes when Marcelo was out. He's given Vinicius two starts. He played Llorente, you know, after the Ceballos at DM thing proved to be a disaster. He played Llorente every single game, and he might have started him over Casemiro, but Llorente got injured. Mariano's injured as well. Um, Odriozola, I think, is injured as well. I, I don't, I honestly don't remember, but it's, he's done all of that. It doesn't matter because nothing is going to change in, in, until we have a good coach. Um, it, I, I just I just kind of think that's misdiagnosing the problem. And like I pointed out, like the, whoever he's playing on the pitch are actually stepping up and trying to make something out of nothing. I don't think switching players or whatever is going to change. And I, I don't think motivation is an issue anymore. I think it could have been at the start of the season because when I look at, at, let's just take today's game, if you look at the way we were playing, we had something like 28 shots. The urgency with, with, with which we were bombing for, even when we were 10 men down, these guys clearly want to win and they understand that we're in a really bad place right now. And I think they're honestly sick of losing. They just don't have a platform to be able to win. Um, uh, as for the selling, I mean, this is what I think people mean when they say wholesale change. They mean selling like all these players. And I, it'll be a dark day when Real Madrid have to part ways with Marcelo, but you know, right, so, you so, so, say what you will, so like, is, he's still the best left back in the world and arguably of all time. See, this is the thing when people are saying, like, our players weren't stepping up. Marcelo was at all-time great offensive numbers under Lopetegui. The man, I'm not exaggerating, the man was averaging three chances created per 90 minutes, which was by far the most of any left back in the world and most than like 90% of attacking. Midfield. Go and look, go and look at Ozil's numbers, go and look at Messi's numbers. Not that many attacking midfielders slash forwards have three chances created per 90 minutes. I mean, that is beyond elite. And, and that was Marcelo's all time high. He was averaging, you know, he was consistent with his, his dribbling numbers. He even scored two goals, I think, towards the end of Lopetegui's reign, trying to keep us in it. This guy is the best left back in the world, bar none. And he doesn't look like he's great anymore. That's what I'm saying, right? Like, yeah, this is not a Solar. This is not a Marcelo thing. It's not even a thing you have to address with a transfer. This is a coach thing. Right. Like, who else are you going to switch out for Marcelo? There's literally no one better than Marcelo. So let's say we go get Alexander or Jordi Alba. It's going to be no different because someone who was looking like the best left back in the world earlier this season now looks horrible. 
because the common denominator is the coach's attacking tactics or yep. the lack of attacking tactics. Um, Sajid Reyes asks us, um, can we expect Brahim Diaz, our new signing, to be the quickest Real Madrid player in history to make it into the starting 11, uh, starting with this Thursday's match against Leganes? Because with Vasquez out, it might not even be a surprise, given that Solari seems to be hell-bent on keeping Isco out of the starting 11 at any cost. Um, I don't think Brahim Diaz will start in this match. Just answer that question. Um Anyways, uh, ne- next part of this question. With Bale out, Asensio out, everyone thought it's Isco's time to repeat the heroics of 2016-17, but no, Solari puts Vinicius. Don't get me wrong, the kid had a great game, um, But and as a Brazil fan, I'm uh, excited for him to support with us. Uh, seeing all... Okay, and this... Okay, I already talked about this, so, Saji, you can go back and listen to the answer on your previous question about this, but you say, how, how is this different from Pogba and Mourinho? Well... That I already, we already, I did a whole thing on this. You can praise a player to the media all you want, but it wouldn't make a difference if you still treat that player like crap. It it is different though. So, the game speaks for itself. The coach is running around like a headless chicken, and the way our players, our defenders, ball watch when they scored the second goal tells me the players weren't really playing for this manager, and I have a problem with a manager who is prepared to com- compromise on the quality of his team selection to prolong a personal issue with a player for over three months. He needs to go bring on hitting until the end of the season. It's not a personal issue anymore, though, right? It's I think we established that. Like, it's it's a tactical one. Like, Isco is just not. Yeah, that's what I was. Gonna I say. mean, I mean, I agree that it's a big negative that Solari cannot make the use of our most creative attacker, which is clearly Isco. Yeah, like that. That is an issue. That is a valid criticism. I just don't think it's personal anymore. Like Isco is the first name off the bench when he wants to change something because Solari's plan A never works. It's just that the tactical profile Solari wants Isco doesn't fit it at all. Yeah. And that's a negative, but I, I don't think it's fair to say that it's personal anymore because I'm not getting that indication anymore. Keon weeks ago kind of confirmed that there, w- there were really no more reports coming out saying that it was personal and that that issue had been resolved. But, I mean, I don't know. Like, in, in, in principle, I agree with Saji that it's it's bad that Solari can't make use of Yeah, this it's goal. stupid. It's bad and dumb that he can't figure out how to bring this guy and, and make use of his talents. It's bad. It shows another... You know, another mark on that chalkboard showing how bad a coach this guy is. He just, you know, uh, he, if you can't figure out how to use this type of creative player because your system requires players that are incredibly rigid and only have their narrow, you know, play in their narrow lane and don't don't get creative about their positioning or swapping or, or, or finding space, then you're 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 a bad coach. So, I mean, he literally, the reason he's playing Lucas Vazquez isn't because Lucas Vazquez is his best friends and he hates Isco. It's because Lucas Vazquez is a pure winger who only does that. He doesn't do anything else. So uh, if you play Isco as a winger, you you're, you have to be able to and be willing to sign on to a player who is going to roam a little bit and try to figure out where the space is and, and, and create mismatches. He is a player who is perfect for where the position uh Whereas Lucas Vazquez is a classic out-of-another-age player who is a winger, and he doesn't do anything else other than winger. Uh, and that actually is a perfect match for Solari's system, which is basically just playing the these players in their narrow role and doesn't like it when players go beyond that role. 
yeah, I mean, I agree 100%. Um, all right. So, Essa Hariri has a couple questions. He says, um, <laughs> Real Madrid can't score a goal. <laughs> Uh, and Cas- Casemiro can't pass a ball. When will we realize that this is not conducive to our play anymore? Always passing backwards and ball control. We really don't need him at this stage anymore. Just my opinion. Um, and then he says, fun fact. Did you know, expect, ever imagine that Ramos did not get a red card in 2018? What a feat. <laughs> Should be trying harder. <laughs> he could have done take, it if he wanted to try. <laughs> I will take any win that I can take. Yeah. In the present moment, given our current situation, and considering Ramos's history with red cards, that's a pretty big. Um, and I think with respect to Casemiro, um, he's just getting back from injury, also. So I mean, and I mean, I think I, that Llorente is already showing why he is such a useful player, especially against play, teams like um, in this this level at the at the middle bottom of La Liga. But in matches where you need more physicality, where you need kind of that enforcer presence in midfield, I I still think Casemiro is a crucial role for that type of game where um and yeah, sure, he, he really hasn't improved his um some of the weaknesses that we've we've known forever, but that doesn't mean that he's not a useful guy, not worth having and not worth playing. So Yeah, I agree with that as well. Um, all right, that is your show for this week. Um, I mean, look, it's <laughs> things are bad, and I, I already said this a couple times ago. Um, but you know, if if you feel like this is causing you too much stress, or if you're not having a fun time watching the team or thinking about the team, no one is forcing you to do that, and you should maybe just take a little break. It's easy to burn out when your team is struggling in a way that you don't think they should be. So it's okay to take a break and, and, you know, step away from sports for a little while and refocus and remember why you like this stuff. And, um, you know, come back when you're ready. And if you feel like you want to, I mean, this is entertainment. You do it for fun. Um, and if it's not fun, then, don't do it as much. <laughs> I know that that's like not a particularly controversial thing to say, but I do think it, it gets a little controversial with people sometimes um, reminding you guys that, you know, it's okay. You don't even have to listen to the show. If you, if you feel like you aren't having a good time listening, to if it. you think Ohm's a fucking idiot and he makes you angry, you don't have to listen. Well, you should DM him about it though. Constantly. <laughs> <laughs> Um, all right, everybody. Um, great talking to you. We'll be back. We've got a couple of shows this week. We've got, obviously, our midweek patron show. Um, we'll be talking about Leganis. And Keon has his two shows tomorrow and Tuesday, his Lone Trekker podcast and then his Castilla podcast. So um, interesting. A lot to talk about on the Castilla show with Sam. Uh, Madrid just got dominated by um, Ponferradina, I think, today. So really good, good times all around. <laughs> um, all right. Oh, great talking to you, buddy. Talk next Same, week. Same, bro. All of Madrid. All of Madrid.